The live opinions, descriptions, and accounts expressed on the Best of Times Radio Hour are those of the hosts and the guests of this show, and not necessarily those of Town Square Media or this station. Consult with your attorney, accountant, or other professional for final advice in making your decision. The Best of Times, live from 710 Keel Studios in Shreveport, Louisiana, celebrating age and maturity. Helping you make the best years of your life the best they can be. The best of times. Your host, Gary Caligas. Good morning, ladies and listeners. I'm Gary Caligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only news magazine for mature adults in northwest Louisiana. Thank you for tuning into our show today. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Radio Pup application on their Apple and Android devices. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn about esophageal cancer and gum disease treatment options. So stay tuned to the show for some very interesting and beneficial information. Joining me on my radio show as a special guest is Dr. Alvin Dannenberg, who is a periodontist, and he's on the show to discuss the latest treatment options for esophageal cancer and gum disease. Thank you, doctor, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. It is my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. So tell us your background about treating gum disease. Well, I'm an old guy. I've been practicing for 43 years. Wow, you're not that old. You're you're probably not as old as me. But hey, you never know. Okay, well, just to tell you, I am 71 years old and well, healthier today than I've ever been. And we can get into the reasons why later. Good deal. But um, I have been practicing as a periodontist for 43 years. And for the majority of my time, I was treating periodontal disease in very conventional ways. And over the last six, seven years, I discovered a very new way to treat this disease, which is extremely aggressive and actually um, much more user or patient-friendly than previous treatments and getting significantly better results. So I treat active gum disease, and I do that not only with um, in the mouth, I am very concerned about overall health, so I'm also a certified functional medicine practitioner and even a certified primal health coach. So I get into health and nutrition and the bacteria in the gut that are so critical and and are determinants of the disease in the mouth, and we can get into that in detail later on. So I'm I'm sure my listeners out there think they know that... uh periodontal disease, they hear of gingivitis, right? But, but that's not the only Correct. thing. Right? That's just part of the story, right? Correct. So periodontal disease is kind of a catch-all term for any gum infection mm-hmm. for the most. And gum disease, periodontal disease, is really broken down into two major categories. One is called gingivitis, which everybody talks about maybe, um, bleeding gums. That right. It's the early stage of gum disease. It does not necessarily progress to a deeper, more infectious disease called periodontitis. So gingivitis is strictly related to the gum tissues, and it can be treated relatively easy with uh, certain techniques that we can talk about later. And then if it were to progress, then it becomes extremely more virulent. The bacteria actually change, and it goes deep under the gum tissues, and it destroys the bone structure. The big problem with this is that once that bone structure is breaking down, the teeth can be lost, and this infection can easily travel through the blood system. Mm. So 
periodontal disease can be an extremely unhealthy, uh, virulent type of infection in the mouth. But it doesn't necessarily have to start in the mouth. It could start in the gut and it changes the, the host response and the immune system is weakened and then it allows bacteria in the mouth to get out of control. So it, it could originate from your gut and then go into your mouth and then start the, the, the serious problems of, of your gums, right, in the teeth. Absolutely, and I would, I would propose that that's the way it starts. Oh, okay. I wrote a paper called The Big Bang Theory of Chronic Disease. Oh, I and know. And that paper, <laughs> yeah, that, that's the catchy term that makes people read the article. True. And, and, and it's based on the fact that things that we eat, things that we ingest, things that we breathe, things that we absorb from our skin change the bacteria in the gut, which is critical for our health. And once that happens, it changes the immune system's response to disease, and it literally changes the types of bacteria in the mouth. And the bacteria in the mouth become more pathogenic, and then if you're eating the wrong foods that support and feed these very bad bacteria, then you get gum disease, then you get tooth decay, and then you get a host of other chronic diseases throughout your body, but it really starts in the gut. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna add in there. It's not the the wives' tale of, well, those kids are eating too much sugar, and that's what's causing all their teeth to fall out. Right? It's not just that. It might well, add to it. Well, there's a big problem because sugar damages the gut bacteria. But processed grains are another big problem because it changes the gut bacteria and then certain foods and chemicals that are in food and a variety of substances that we get that are toxic can really damage the gut and and even over exercising or under exercising can damage the gut bacteria excessive stress can damage the gut bacteria improper mm. sleeping habits can stress the bacteria in the gut and when these get stressed an immune system reacts to it it affects our entire body's ability to fight off any infection. And weakened organ systems, genetically or whatever, can break down as well as the mouth. And then you develop these gum infections that can spread. Wow. So let's let's continue on. I know my listeners out there are trying to say, well, so what are the signs and symptoms that I may have or my loved one or, or, or kids may have or young adults may have that might indicate some level of periodontal disease? Sure. So in the beginning, we're talking about gingivitis. You, you can't get periodontitis mm-hmm. before you get gingivitis. Okay. Although, like I said, gingivitis doesn't always become periodontitis. So gingivitis is the thing that you can see and you can smell. And that would be reddened gum tissues, bleeding gum tissues, puffy, swollen gum tissues. Sometimes, like I said, there's an odor to the breath that's foul because of the bacteria that are in the, in the infection area. And... These are the obvious signs of gum infection called gingivitis. Now, when the infection, if it were to progress to periodontitis, actually it looks like sometimes the reddened gum goes away. The bleeding tends to go away. The odor may still be there, and sometimes the gum will start to recede. 
but the, the, the infection is actually getting deeper under the gum. And some oh. people would think when they're younger, they had bleeding gums, and now 10 years plus, they don't have bleeding gums anymore, so this disease is gone. It may actually now be periodontitis. It's just deeper, and you can't see it. And that's one of the big problems, because it doesn't necessarily hurt. So when you're chewing, it doesn't necessarily hurt, but the teeth may become loose, um, and eventually the teeth may separate, spaces develop, and then... The ultimate result for the tooth itself could be a loss of the tooth. More importantly, this infection could become systemic and create a lot of other lesions in the mouth and, and everywhere else in the body. And, and could it cause you to lose and, and separate your teeth? Yeah, so when sometimes the bone is breaking down, the tooth loosens. Just like if you had a tree that's sitting in the dirt, and there was, for whatever reason, erosion, and the root of the tree starts to become exposed to the point where the tree is weaker and you get a windstorm like a hurricane, the tree just blows over. The tooth itself is very strong in the bone, but if the bone is breaking down, even though you don't see that, the tooth itself gets weaker and it gets loose. And then once the bone is really broken down, you can eat something soft like a banana and the tooth could fall out. Whoa. Okay, that's interesting in, in itself. So I'm going to sidetrack here. How do, how do periodontists and, and dentists determine that you have that higher level? Let's say that your gums do no, no longer bleed, but is that when they take these x-rays they can determine that? Sure. And sure. Well, the x-rays are only a, a, a picture that is not necessarily going to show disease. It just shows the damage to the bone. And if you took a traditional x-ray, it's kind of a, a two-dimensional picture of a three-dimensional object. So you can't really see that well, but you can see quite a bit. But a, a dentist or a periodontist would examine the mouth by looking at a, very, a various number of things. One would be they would examine the gum tissue and the way it's sealed to the tooth by using a little tiny ruler called a periodontal probe, and it is calibrated in millimeters, and they can place the probe between the gum and the tooth very gently and see how deep it goes with um, uh, disease in the gum and the bone. That depth increases. Normally, that depth would be anywhere from maybe 0.1 millimeters to about 3 millimeters in depth with no bleeding at all. And then when there's infection, it could go deeper, like 4, 5 millimeters, starting to bleed. And then much, much deeper, there's a point where there's no bone and the tooth would be lost itself. Like 15 to 20 millimeters down, there would be no bone at all. Ooh. So. This is the best way for a periodontist or a general dentist to examine the mouth, look at the gum tissues, push everything else in the soft tissue, hard tissues of the mouth, and look at the gum tissues, examine the spaces, look at the x-rays, and then determine and, and check the bite, which is critical, the way the upper and lower teeth hit together. And then they can make a determination if there's active disease or not. Amazing. So how many people are effective in the U.S. regarding this? This is a fascinating statistic. There was a study that was done and published in 2010. And it was a study that utilized, I think, um, college students or college um, uh, Maybe the average age was 25 or something. I can't remember. But anyhow, the study showed they examined the gum tissues just like I explained. They looked yes. at the puffiness. They looked at the pocket depth, the spaces. And they determined 
that 94%, and they projected, of the U.S. adult population had some form of gum disease, meaning that the gum was either inflamed or bleeding. Wow. You know, the gum tissue should never, ever bleed. Even if you go to the dentist, sometimes they will say, well, the hygienist will say, well, it becomes bleed just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Bleeding is not health. For example, if you're a man and you're shaving and you're looking in the mirror and there was a drop of blood that came out of your ear, would you be concerned? Yes. If you're a woman and you're putting on your makeup <laughs> and there's a drop of blood that comes out of your ear, would you be concerned? Obviously. But, you know, people aren't concerned when they brush their teeth and there's a little bit of pink or they floss their teeth and there's a little bit of pink or the the floss smells. Or they, they look at their mouth and just it's a little red. They think it's normal. But it may be normal because the majority of people have it, but it's not healthy. So flossing, so flossing. So doc, flossing to the extreme, which occasionally I forget what I'm doing, and it, I think I go a little bit too low, maybe, and stay there now too long. You know, I get a little bit, but uh, uh, well, if you floss and you're flossing too aggressively, you're cutting the gum. Yeah. So anytime you cut any part of the, your body, you're going to bleed. That's a natural situation. But if you were just to floss gently and it bled, or yeah. brush with a soft brush toothbrush and you're brushing the gum tissue and it starts to bleed, or they, they have little uh, cleaners that fit between the teeth, just like little bottle brush, baby bottle brushes, but they're tiny that fit between the teeth to clean. And if you get a little pink when you're doing that, mm -hmm. you have, in fact, absolutely, without a question, you have infection. Whoa. So you are part of the 94%. And what I was saying, what's the impact? Of course, this show primarily it has all ages, but, you know, majority of the people here are, are 65 and older. What's the, what's the relevance there? So here's what happens. So gingivitis, like I said, doesn't always turn into periodontitis. But when it becomes periodontitis, there was a study that was conducted by the Centers for Disease Control that was published in 2012, and they determined this is the most extensive study ever done in the United States. And they, they determined that 47% of adults in the United States had active periodontitis. Whoa. And if you are 65 years or older, the percentage jumps to 70%. Now, That's... here's what's amazing about these percentages. If you... Look at our primal ancestors. We're talking about 20,000 years ago. And if you look at skeletal remains from 10,000 years ago to 20,000 years ago, you will see relatively no damage to the jawbone and no tooth decay. And you can see <laughs> remnants of dental plaque that turned to calculus, and today they can even do DNA testing on this 20,000-year-old dental calculus. They show many, many varied types of bacteria, but no decay and no periodontal. And that's because the bacteria are in a state of balance. Okay. Now, in our society... And they were eating better back then, right? They didn't have uh, McDonald's or Burger King. Right. So they're not eating <laughs> processed foods. Correct. They're not eating processed foods. They're not eating refined grains. They're not eating refined sugars. They're not eating processed seed oils. And those are the things that are damaging the gut bacteria that begins to affect the mouth bacteria. And those foods feed the bad bacteria in the mouth. And then you have a vicious cycle that is going throughout the entire body. 
Well, that's why we had this unbelievably. That is that is that is staggering, and I'm I'm glad you're on the show today to help uh, educate me and others about this. I was not aware of that. That's the high incident. Joining me on my show is a special guest, is Dr. Alvin Dannenberg, who is a periodontist, and he's discussing the latest treatment option for esophageal cancer and gum disease. Let's continue our discussions. You you mentioned that 94 percent of the adults in the U.S. are affected, and some 47 percent of the adults have advanced periodontal disease and if you're 65 and older you have a 70% chance of, of having being infected so how many of these individuals seek treatment? That's amazing there's, it's difficult to tell but there's an estimation that only maybe 3% of people actually have treatment to take care of some of these problems So Doc, why is that? They're not aware of it number one um, some dentists don't treated thoroughly enough, um, and I think the estimate is that 40, 50% of the population has never seen a dentist in their lives. So, so what we're dealing with is a, a disease that doesn't necessarily hurt, and since most people have this, everybody thinks it's normal, and then by the time they realize that the problems are severe, the teeth cannot be saved. So... It's a sad state of affairs. There needs to be a tremendous amount of education that can support the types of treatment can, that can actually stop this disease in its tracks. Well, treatment and precautions. I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. As you mentioned, what, what you eat, what you do, your stress level, et cetera, can, can affect lots of parts. But this seems like to me this is a critical factor that is being is being put down on the, the pedestal here of um, awareness as well as treatment, especially the only 3% seek treatment. Oh, wow. Um, so so explain to our listeners, which I thought this was fascinating, it's not an isolated disease. It can affect other parts of your body. It's, it's not an isolated disease, but I see periodontal disease as part of the continuum of chronic disease. So like I mentioned, that I believe that everything starts in the gut. And the bacteria that is unhealthy called dysbiosis in the gut damages the gut lining and things leak into the bloodstream that should never be there creating what's called chronic inflammation and once chronic inflammation starts to become systemic leading to every part of the body then other parts of the body can be affected so when you have problems in the gut it's not necessary that you have bloating or pain or diarrhea or constipation, you can have these problems without ever knowing that you have a gut problem. So the first area in your body that may manifest from this damage in the gut could be the mouth. And the mouth has been known to be the mirror to many, many chronic diseases that are not even known yet, but they show signs in the mouth. And when these damaged areas of the gut start to leak into the mouth and you're eating the foods that are feeding pathogenic bacteria, you develop gum disease. And this gum disease now can, especially when it progresses to periodontitis, it now can start to penetrate the blood system by little capillaries under the gum that are all infected. And these bad bacteria and remnants of the bacteria can leak into the bloodstream and create another nidus of infection. So you have a nidus of infection that is in the gut starting the damage that you're probably not aware of. And now you have a new nidus of infection in your mouth. And if you only treat your mouth, you never treat the gut. 
If you only treat the gut, you never treat the mouth. You have to treat both. You've got to treat both. Oh. Both. Okay, well, I'm thinking of some questions my listeners are going to ask. So they're going to probably want to know, Doc, if, if they take, uh, they were, they're using, they regularly brush two to three times a day, they want to take their, their Listerine or scope or whatever, would that help? Or that just only help in the mouth, but you're not swallowing that stuff? Well, let me let me explain a couple things that you said. You, you're talking about an antimicrobial mouthwash. So you're thinking, which is the typical way of thinking, and that is you've got bacteria in your mouth. You need to kill all the bacteria. Well, much of the bacteria in your mouth is healthy bacteria. If you kill the bacteria indiscriminately, you'll kill some bad bacteria, but you'll kill a lot of good bacteria. Oh, it's a shotgun approach, huh? It's a shotgun approach. Right. you change the good bacteria, you develop new pathogenic strains of other bacteria. Oh, no. So that's not a healthy thing. It will take care of some symptoms in the mouth, but it doesn't create a healthier environment, and it may allow other types of bacteria to become unhealthy and create other infections. So that's not the way to do it. That's kind of taking an aspirin when you have appendicitis. The pain may go away, but your appendix may still burst. So you need to be very careful of just treating the manifestation of the disease. You need to get to the core of the disease. So how would you know what's the bad and what's the good bacteria? Because everybody's mouth is a little different. So you can't say you have specific type of bacterium in your mouth, therefore you're going to have disease and you have to kill it. Because a lot of the pathogenic bacteria are not pathogenic to start with. Oh, they, they are change, in, huh? They are in balance. Just like I told you when you looked at some skull remains from 10,000 to 20,000 years ago, the DNA testing of the tartar under the gum that's surrounding the bone at this point used to be the dental plaque. And those bacteria were very numerous. And individually maybe can be considered pathogenic, but in their totality, they were in balance. They actually work in a healthy environment. So it's not that you can identify the specific bacteria with a culture test and you need to kill that before any disease starts, but you need to have some kind of method that is not going to indiscriminately destroy all the good bacteria in your mouth. Okay, another follow-up question. So if 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 an individual is, I hear the term dry mouth, is that going to okay. make them more susceptible for yes. gum, gum yes. disease? Yes, because the saliva has a huge effect on the accumulation of healthy plaque and creating a flow of fluid that helps to keep decay and pathogenic bacteria just out of the area because you swallow it. When you swallow most of bacteria, the stomach acid destroys the bacteria. If, if you didn't have a means for your body to kill bacteria naturally that could be pathogenic, all you have to do is go outside, breathe the air, and you'd be dead. So your your body knows how to effectively, because of your immune system, destroy bacteria and viruses and, and a variety of other things that you can get in your body. And when you're eating foods that have bacteria that could be potentially pathogenic, once they get to the stomach, which is extremely acidic, those bacteria, for the most part, die. And that way, you're not putting hmm. pathogenic bacteria through your system. 
Okay, so Life's a marvelous organism. So those of us, including Wah here, uh, has a tremendous amount of saliva. Even my producer tells me occasionally I have to sit there and swallow it because I can't enunciate real well. So is yeah. that beneficial or harmful? Yeah, sure. The more saliva, the better. So it really flushes whatever those good and bad guys down to the bad to the level, my gut level, and hopefully take care of the bad ones, right? right? The saliva also pours out nutrients that um, seep into the dental plaque and seep then into the tooth surface that actually enhances your natural ability to remineralize the tooth surface. It also helps to maintain a, a proper acid level around the area in it. And it also, the, the dental plaque that's healthy, the dental plaque is actually healthy until it's not. So the dental plaque, as it's healthy, actually the, the numbers of bacteria that make up the dental plaque produce a variety of chemicals that prevent other pathogenic bacteria from becoming crazy. Oh. So the, the dental plaque is very beneficial, and the, and the saliva feeds the dental plaque. Okay. With nutrients. So let's let's get into because I know people are interested. How is esophageal cancer related to gum disease linked with? Now this is an interesting situation because it has been determined there are a variety of bacteria that will coalesce and form and potentiate periodontal disease, active periodontitis. But one very specific bacterium is called P. gingivalis. And P. gingivalis is very unique. Other bacteria are like that, but P. gingivalis is very unique. And what it is, is once it becomes pathogenic, once it becomes pathogenic, it can actually ward off the immune system and it doesn't allow the natural immune system to kill it. Because it creates its own biofilm that's relatively impenetrable by the immune system. In addition, P. gingivalis has a unique um, ability to penetrate healthy gum cells and live in these cells and then become very virulent to the cells and then exit the cells. Sometimes this P. gingivalis can get into blood cells and become dormant and the blood cells can circulate in the body and the P. gingivalis can erupt in other organ systems. It can be a very dangerous bacterium. So how, do, how does one know that they have this particular uh, Well, bacteria? some tests, there are some oral tests that can, can identify P. gingivalis as well as others, but some of the problems with some of the oral tests would be that very healthy people have P. gingivalis as well as other path, potentially pathogenic bacteria. Oh. It's only a problem when the ratios become out of whack, when they are out of balance when there's active disease that's going on. So when no, there's active disease going on because there's periodontal disease that has been diagnosed because the dentist has probed the mouth, they see damage in the x-ray, they see bleeding when they're probing, they see inflamed tissues, they see the, the signs and symptoms of active gum disease, then it can be treated. Now, some treatments only treat kind of the manifestation and not really the source. So you have to be something you have to be somewhat more specific in your treatment if you really want to get rid of this extremely active, virulent bacterium called P. gingivalis. So 
continuing, are there any groups of people that are more affected by gum disease than others? Well, some people do have a genetic predisposition so to periodontal disease. So there's some oral testing that can genetically identify if you are more susceptible. And you can't change that susceptibility. You can't change your genetic makeup, but you can be more aware. I think it's more smart, it's smarter to do everything that you can to improve your immune system and eat the foods that are going to support your immune system and your gut bacteria. And if you have active gum disease, treat it in a, in a an effective way that destroys the most pathogenic bacteria, which could be gingivalis. So but I didn't mention about the esophageal cancer. So what's interesting is that the P. gingivalis has been shown to when it gets into some cells, it can actually change the cell structure and maybe potentiate a cancerous growth. It creates potential tumor-like growth. And that is a significant factor. There was a study that was recently published that some investigators determined that they could do a blood test and see antibodies because the body makes antibodies to foreign invaders like gingivalis. And they can see antibodies, an array of antibodies that are there because of very active P. gingivalis in the system. And it has been determined that when they see these high markers of these antibodies, it correlates to a higher incidence and risk of esophageal cancer. The problem with esophageal cancer is that by the time it's diagnosed, it could be in a terminal state. It's so almost if you too late. Could, okay. Yeah. So if you could be a practitioner and put a blood test, especially if a person is susceptible to these diseases or in, or in the age group that may be um, more significant of this disease or they have other risk factors for this disease and took a blood test and they had these factors that would antibodies that were high they would be at a much higher risk of developing esophageal cancer and even squamous cell carcinoma in the mouth so it's an interesting thing but still if you were more proactive and just took care of the things before they happened, it would make a whole lot more sense. We all want to do that, but sometimes we yep. forget to do that. But so, or sometimes we don't know how to do that. Okay, let's let's, let's educate us a little bit. Nutrition does play a, a role, right? And you're you, you're you're a big proponent of that. A huge role, absolutely a huge role. Something so to avoid, or something to, in addition to avoiding certain things, we should consume a bunch of things. Is that is that a fair okay. statement? You need to get the bad things out, and you need to put the good things in. Okay. Absolutely. Examples? Excuse me? Uh, go ahead. Examples? Examples, yes. So you need to eat any and all animal products, head to tail, all the organ meats, and all the healthy fats of these animal products that are either grass-raised and grass-finished, not grain-fed. They need to be wild-caught, not farmed. They need to be eating the foods that are natural to their habit in their environment, not the modified corn or, or other products like grain. And those animal products supply a host of nutrients and healthy saturated fats that your body needs. You need to eat a huge amount of vegetables, and some fruit. And the vegetables need to be all kinds of colors. Ideally, lots and lots of non-starchy vegetables. 
and a few starchy vegetables, like maybe a sweet potato. And if you're going to eat fruit, the fruits that have less sugar will be the better ones. The best fruits will be the dark-colored berries. There's strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, those kinds of blueberries. Those are fantastic fruits. You want to have some nuts and seeds. Not a whole lot. Not two cups of nuts and seeds, but maybe a handful a day. And and you you can eat healthy butter that is from cows that are grass-fed. So animal products that are naturally raised and, and humanely raised, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. What do you need to avoid? You need to avoid all processed sugar products, not the sugar that's in berries or bananas or fruit, but you need to... You need to remove those sugars that are over-processed and are added to food. You need to avoid processed grains. That's a huge debate, but grains are a problem. It wasn't until grains became part of the farming industry 10,000 years ago that the incidence of gum disease and tooth decay started to rise. And it really went crazy over 50 years ago when all kinds of things were happening, including genetically modified products and herbicides that were sprayed on the foods that, that had residues that were eating and a number of nutrients that used to be in the foods that are extracted and then artificial nutrients and vitamins are re in, in, um, uh, introduced to these foods. So these are the problem foods, the grains, the sugars, Processed seed oils are unhealthy. They're basically omega-6 fatty acids. They become very rancid. Your body thinks it's real good fats for their fats for their cell structure, but they're not. And the, those those oils and fats would be um, partially hydrogenated fats. They would be corn oil and safflower oil and soybean oil and canola oil, oils that you're probably familiar with. Oh, Most yeah. restaurants use them, and they're very unhealthy. So those are the three big factors you need to remove. These processed grains, the over-processed sugars, and the processed seed oils. If a person has gum disease, what's their treatment options? First of all, it needs to be diagnosed properly. Certainly, you need to be brushing correctly, flossing correctly. I, I talked a little bit about nutrition. I think that's an important thing. But when you have active infection in the mouth, it's not going to stop especially if it's periodontitis, it's not going to stop just because you eat well. It's critical to eat well, but that's not the problem now. The problem is you have an active disease in your mouth. It's a separate disease unto itself, and it needs to be treated. So what a dentist would do that is knowledgeable in this infection, they would probably examine the mouth. They're seeing gum tissues that are damaged, and they're seeing periodontitis, which is the deeper part of the infection in the bone. So they may do a procedure called a scaling and replaying because the bacteria that are now unhealthy are seeping under the gum and they're calcifying and forming what's called tartar. Tartar is almost like the barnacles that form on a boat that sits in the water. Right. So it's very hard and rough and jagged and it's an irritant. So if you had a splinter in your finger but you were a healthy person, that's that area of your finger is infected and it will never heal until you remove the splinter. So if you have a splinter under the gum, which is this harder, you need to have it removed. And you can't do it yourself. It's too deep. You don't know where it is. But generally a dental hygienist can numb the gum tissue if, there, if the gum tissue needs to be numb or be uncomfortable. But it's not a surgical procedure. They just clean under the gum, right. removing the tartar. And if it's not really advanced disease, 
that'll take care of the problem. And a lot of people get that done once or twice a year, right? They could, yes, they could do it, but the scaling and roofing is a more involved procedure than a regular cleaning because the mouth is numb and the hygienist is going deeper under the gum to remove this deeper calculus because of the active disease that's progressing. So if it's now, worse, go ahead. Now, this disease is actually progressing, and there's damage to the bone that is significant. Scaling and root blending removes the tartar to only a certain extent, and it never can repair the bone. So traditionally, dentists, periodontists especially, would open the gum tissue with a scalpel blade. Of course, you're numb. They would open the gum tissue with a scalpel blade. They would remove the tartar that is very deep, that's hard to see. They would maybe shape the bone so that it's not rough and perforated from the infection. They may even do some bone grafting to try to get the bone to grow better. Then they would use membranes around the bone and close the gum with stitches and the patient would deal with it. They would deal with bleeding and swelling and, and discomfort, gum recession, and it could take four to six weeks for all that to heal. Wow. Not a comfortable procedure. And the sad thing is the end result is only good. It's not fantastic. There's a better way. So what's the better way? So here's an interesting technology. There is a laser. It's called the periolase laser. It has a very specific wavelength of 1064 nanometers. So the, there are many, many lasers in medicine. There are many lasers in dentistry. But this laser produces a wavelength that is very specific for P. gingivalis, this little guy that I told you about that was okay. very nasty. So what happens is a periodontist plus, a, say, evaluates your mouth and it can determine that you have active gum disease that's progressing into the bone. Let's say they determine that the best route would be using the periolase laser. The procedure is called LANAP, which stands for Laser-Assisted New Attachment Procedure. And here's what it does. First of all, the gum tissue is never cut, no stitches. When it's all over, and I'll explain the procedure in a minute, but when it's all over, the patient goes home, maybe with some ibuprofen, hardly ever needs anything stronger, wow. maybe it, uh, some kind of uh, immune herbal product to support the immune system or an antibiotic, it depends on the way the periodontist is practicing. And then the next day, the patients are like, wow, I can do everything I wanted to do. I, I need to eat softer foods for a while. So I can go to work. I don't have swelling. I don't have bleeding. I don't have soreness. Now, it's not 100%. You know, some patients will have a little discomfort, but the far majority go back to their normal routine the next day. So it's, here's the it's less, amazing part. Less, go ahead. The amazing part is we get better results. We actually can kill bacteria because the, the little fiber optic that allows this laser beam to go between the gum, the tooth, and into the bone, this little fiber optic has this light that blinks at 20 times a second. That's the wavelength of this laser. It actually penetrates tissues four to five, millimeter, four to five millimeters beyond the tip of this fiber optic. It gets into the cells. It only kills the P. gingivalis. It doesn't damage healthy gum or healthy bone cells. And even more exciting is that it stimulates what's called stem cells or precursor bone cells in the jawbone that actually stimulates regeneration. Oh. That is amazing. That's part And very regeneration powerful. is not just new bone. It's well, new bone, it's new surface of root, and it's new fibers that attach the root to the bone. And these are clinically um, 
tested and reported in a variety of journals. Well, Doc, again, I thank you. This is fascinating. I want to tell our listeners they can visit this website at www.lanap.com and click on a doctor locator by your zip, and it will tell you those those doctors in the area that utilize this particular protocol. It's a remarkable protocol rather than conventional type of, of, of gun disease treatment. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the best of times. I wish we had more time to discuss it, but we've run out of time in our, in our wonderful radio show today. Today. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. And your book is called Crazy Good Living. We're about to close out. Uh, it's, and it's available, of course, I'm sure it's on Amazon, correct? Crazy, Absolutely. Crazy Good Living. Well, thank you, Doc, for joining us today here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. You were wonderful and fascinating and gave us a lot of great, useful information. It's my pleasure, Gary. Thank you. And for listening to our show, I'm Gary Caligas, wishing you and yours the best of times both today and every day. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Best of Times on 710 Keel. Join us again next Saturday at 9 for The Best of Times. This is News Radio 710 Keel, K E E L, Shreveport Bossier.